welcome to the space where creators have aligned a positive and intellectual collab of open minds. We're sharing and learning from one another, it's a vibe. We give us a podcast on the mic. Subscribe, educators, spitting bars. I guess you didn't know, multifaceted and humble, taking off life goals. The classroom is my comfort zone, where I plant and sow. Seeds of knowledge, compassion, empathy, and hope. Reading is the key to unlocking your potential. Countless benefits, including cognitive and mental. Regardless of the genre, books are highly influential. Go get yours, I'll get mine. Make you strive. Monumental. Come rock with me and get down to this new jam. I had a very simple plan Educate the masses Through books and life lessons It's the Grand Slam I'm out Sala Falava And welcome to the Reads with Rosa podcast I am really excited to introduce today's guest She is a technical advisor on ocean issues For Pacific missions in New York She is part of the inaugural cohort of fellows For Nippon Foundation University of Edinburgh's Ocean Voices Program she is a Tamaita'i Samoa. She is an avid reader and a Spice Girl stan. It's an honor to welcome to the show Gemma Nelson. How are you, sis? Malo Soifua. Good to see you. Hi. Oh, it's been so long, but it's really nice to be here. Thank you so much, Rosa, for that very kind introduction. Excited, never done this before, but let's go. <laughs> Thank you for coming through today. Before we begin, I'd like to give an opportunity just to, you know, shout out your villages, just a, a brief introduction. Thank you so much. Uh, Tala Falava, everyone. Tala Farosa. I am Gemma. I'm from Samoa. I hail from the villages of Lano, Salavalu, Lewa, and Sawese. I um, grew up in Samoa, worked in Samoa my whole life until. Very recently, 2019, I moved away uh, for in search of better opportunities, and I currently find myself in New York, uh, doing, as you said, um, providing technical advice to the Pacific Small Island Developing States uh, missions here in New York. And yep, <laughs> I have so many questions about New York, but we'll get there. We will get there soon. <laughs> We're going Don't to worry. touch upon that. Um, so. I guess where we begin is, you know, you come from a huge family. You were raised your entire life in Samoa. Tell us uh, what that was like. Um, <clears throat> my my memories growing up are uh, like some of like the most cherished moments of my life, right? And I think it's it's like that for everyone, but I think particularly so for me. I grew up in Balala uh, on the family homestead with all of my cousins, my mom's siblings, uh, all of their kids. We grew up in a very, quite a big community. <laughs> uh, so we, we formed very strong bonds early on. Um, we, we often joke in my family that a lot of us don't have like friends who we're not related to because we have so many cousins who are like our best friends. And it, it's, um, it's kind of, we're kind of like a, a small society unto ourselves. Um, but having said that, uh, like moving away from that family when I went to university in um, Vanuatu, so the uh, University of the South Pacific, the School of Law is based in Vanuatu, and it's a four-year program. So when I left in uh, 20, oh, 2009, <laughs> in 2009 when I started my law degree, um, moving out of that very tight-knit society, that very strong family support system. Moving out of that was very new. It felt mm. super weird. I didn't have my same support systems. And so while it was also challenging, it also gave me a really 
important opportunity to grow as a person. So to find out who I was outside of this family system, outside of this mm. um, this little society that was based in Maala. Um, and I, like my, the friends that I made in law school, still my close, close friends to this very day. You know, the mm. and there's, in Palangi movies, there's always that that coming of age journey, <laughs> so much teen angst. And I'm like, it, as, as foreign as a concept as it is, like to compare our lives to those movies, I think it's still applicable in different ways, you know? When we when we put ourselves outside of our our traditional or the the groups that we've grown up in, the groups that we're super used to, like I think a lot of us surprise ourselves with how you know all the different things that we become, like good things. Mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you know, um, being so, like you said, you know, besties, you know, those really strong friendships and relationships with all your cousins. Uh, what are some memorable moments like? living in that environment with such you know just with so much love and ainga around you what was yeah what are some memorable moments childhood moments honestly i it's and i i only think about this right now because my cousins have just gone home so i've been watching their social media stories it's gaile in the rain it's it's buzzing in the rain man it's crazy but like and we, we would wait for, you know, the day when it would just, like, pour down and be like, Mom, can I go? Like, and you, you would just, like, run around in the rain with your cousins. And, like, mm. um, so we, we grew up on, like, a, 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 a piece of land. Um, we had, uh, so my grandparents, they grew uh, lemons and oranges mm. to support their families, like, our big family. And... Uh, we had like a we had a big lawn and we would just you know like sit on the mukia <laughs> just like go sliding and I'm like me with my current like joint issues will probably never but me as a young <laughs> child just go flying off I'm like yeah you know um like it's it's small weird moments like that that I miss and like cherish forever right mm. um but also yes so we we my my grandmother and my grandfather they grew lemons so we would pick lemons to supply to like the local hotels, the local mm. shops. So that was like our job every day after school. <laughs> after school, we would get off school, you go home, you change out of your uniform. Um, they would make us say the rosary and then you go with your big bucket of, you know, you know like the big bailo that they have at home and you mm. had to fill up a bucket of lemons and then you had to bring it up and some like whoever auntie was in charge would like clean them and bag them and then take them to to town and yeah that was how that was how we supported ourselves as a family for many years Mm. (laughs) I mean yeah it sounds sorry sis to interrupt them no it just I'm just you speak with so much joy in your voice when you're sharing these memories um you know, were you, did you enjoy school? You know, did you, were you an avid student? So I, I will say that I, I did enjoy school um, because I sucked at sports. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I was going to say, did you play sports? Uh, what was, no. <laughs> no, she was, she was not born with that talent. <laughs> but yeah, so I, 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 I really enjoyed school, right? School was a, was a, was a interesting place for me because I excelled at it. And so as any, like any child, any person, like you want to do what you're good at all the time. So I, 
I, I never, I guess when I was very young, like early primary school, I didn't think that school was really for me until I started getting like awards, like, you know, most improved. That's the first word, the first award you always get when you, when you, when you're a Kafal student, you get the most improved. And then I started placing in subjects and I mean, it was new and unexpected, but I, I, I liked, I liked the recognition. Right. And so it did open up a different, um, I guess, side of my life, which was very school oriented, very focused on like achieving in those areas, which is why for like, on, and of course, someone like life is not easy, right? Like it's expensive. You have a really big family to support. So for me, I knew that the only way forward was definitely good school, good job, <laughs> and good pay. <laughs> mm. So, you know, those are all the, the, those are the main driving forces for me being good in school. I did also enjoy school because it gave me access to books. Oy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I was definitely an avid reader. I read everything um my I don't like anything I would just read it like mm. I was I remember when I was quite young I would read the newspaper like cover to cover just I didn't really understand it but it was just something to read right I, I quickly mm. also maxed out of the age-appropriate books that they had at my house <laughs> <laughs> which means that by the time I think I was maybe <clears throat> I think I was like 12 um and I was starting to read like the fantasy novels. So when I was growing up, there was a there was an author, Stephen Donaldson. He was like super trendy at that time. And so how how we got books in my family was like whenever my aunties who were living overseas, my uncles and my aunties were living overseas, whenever they would come home, they would just buy books and then like bring it home, right? So we mostly got whatever was trendy. And so there was like a big set of books, like in at that time it would have been the early 2000s there were like weird sci-fi novels and i <laughs> and i i loved it i loved it so much and i think that's why i'm a sci-fi nerd to this day but <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh, favorite books from your childhood like that one go-to that you read over and over um yes and it's 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 so childish, but it's a, it's it's a weird story. It's called the Pokey Little Puppy. It's one of those like golden books. It's it it's literally like a it's a child child story, but it was just like it was just so cute to me. It's about this little puppy who's very naughty, um, goes and digs under the fence and like runs away from his siblings and his mom, and then he comes home at the end, and his siblings always get in trouble because. It, because his his mom thinks that Dave dug the hole under the fence and then there's like at the end of the story like he learns all of his lessons and he covers up the hole and his mom sees it and she's like so impressed with him she gives him strawberry shortcake um, <laughs> it is it is ridiculous how childish that story is but you know uh, warm fuzzy feelings right like I'm that's what I'm about <laughs> I love it I love the strawberry shortcake element of that story that right there. And so you mentioned you're now a sci-fi nerd. Are there any other genres uh, that you're into uh, when it comes to reading? Honestly, it's just like fan it, sci-fi. I used to be really into reading it, but it got quite difficult for me to read it the older I got. I don't know, for some reason it did. Um, right now I'm super into fantasy. I'm reading the uh, the Throne of uh Throne of Glass series oh, by yes. Sarah J. Maas. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm I think I'm on like the third book. Um I very recently invested in a in a in a Kindle and yes. so I don't need like a physical library 
in in yes. a new York apartment, you have no there's no space for a physical library. <laughs> well, you know what you can do is download the Libby app, and you should be able to connect to the libraries in New York. Seriously, sis, for free. You just you can actually you don't need a physical library card. You can actually create an e library card library and it card? gives yeah. you a barcode and everything so you should be able to connect to um the libraries there it's honestly like i connect to the auckland library and um i mean i buy books for my kindle uh for my yeah because i read on my phone but i also use libby app to access more uh just other books that i don't want to buy but i'm curious about the only thing with the auckland library that i'm kind of always disappointed about is just their uh they don't have a lot of, um, you know, Pacifica uh, books kind of thing. It's kind yeah. of really annoying. And they always send out surveys and I'm like, more Pacific Island writers, please. <laughs> While we're on like New York Library. So New York has like a really good public library system. Um, and you you register for free. It's an easy way if you're a resident in New York if or even if you're visiting New York, it's a really easy way you can... Uh, you can register for a library card, and it gets you into so many other public spaces. So if you are, uh, yeah, if you're, an, if you're a member of the New York Library, um, which is free, you can also get into the Met for free. <gasps> yeah, I so hope it, you're it, utilizing your library card, sis. You come visit me. I go like oh, yeah. friends or family over. I'm like, yeah, this is what we do. <laughs> we, we all oh go into gosh. the Met Museum for free. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a voluntary contribution, right? So you mm. you can donate, like you can just pick your own entry fee. Um, so you should just give like a dollar for each of us who are going because the library is not going to miss out on my twenty dollars. <laughs> the the yeah. library has more sponsors than me. <laughs> so cool! Right, I'm coming in New York. <laughs> like, I'm, so, ready. I'm too scared. I'm Fifi Valley <laughs> to step foot on U.S. soil. <laughs> That's a real thing. That is a real thing. Oh man. So you know, um when we you know moving to Vanuatu, as you mentioned, for schooling, were you the first out of you know your family to be able to, you know, go on a scholarship to do such studies, or have you had role models, you know, from older cousins and things that before you that you kind of were like, when I get to that age, I want to do something like that. So Interestingly enough, I I have I have older like not in my mom's generation. So I have mm-hmm. uncles and aunties who'd gone on to higher education, but they'd gone on at like so early. Like I don't think I was even born at that point. Mm-hmm. Like they'd all completed their their university degrees in the eighties, mm-hmm. right? So when I it, I'll be honest, it was never really like a like school was important to me because I was good at it, um, but I also had a very strong um, idea that good schools, good like good grades, would get me into good schools, would get me into a good job, which would enable me to support my family in the way that, like, in a in a sustainable and effective way. Um, I never thought about really just being someone who. Um, I never really thought about being the first in my generation to to get that far, and it's funny that we have this conversation because. Like some of my cousins have come up to me after that and they're like, yeah, you were the first one to do that. And it was really important for us to see you do that. And now that's why we want to do that. And I was like, really? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so cool. It was useful for you. <laughs> but it was, really yeah, cool. it was just like a it's, a, it's a weird thing, right? I think um, mm. maybe a lot of us as well, I, I, I understand like 
in in island families there's definitely a tendency to put pressure on someone to lead like I think maybe I felt that pressure in other ways like I felt the pressure to be like a good Samoan girl like mm. no ka'a no <laughs> you know uh, that type of thing don't answer back so maybe I felt pressures in those ways but I never really felt the pressure to like be really good at school because other people are looking at you type of thing and so I think I am I'm very grateful to my family for not putting me under that pressure because I think that would have that wouldn't it wouldn't have re- resulted in the same relationship with school that I have. I just mm. I just liked it because I was good at it, right? Mm. <clears throat> yeah. What don't people know about Vanuatu? Oh, so much. Vanuatu mm. is amazing. Vanuatu is like an absolutely gorgeous place. Also, Vanuatu has the best beef in the world. Hey, really? It does. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, of course, I was a broke university students I wasn't the best beef in the world (laughs) but I mean I yeah no Vanuatu is like it's a major it I don't think it gets a lot of airtime and I think this Mm. this is a conversation that we have on social media a lot which is that Samoans, Fijians, Tongans like we take up a lot of space and I think even visibly like our islands take up a lot of the like the attention, the, the the media attention on the Pacific, um, but Vanuatu is definitely stepping out of that, stepping into that spotlight. Especially, just a couple of days ago, I have to plug this. Like mm. we, Vanuatu led an initiative to present, a, to seek an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice on climate change, and that's never been done. I mean, well, it's never been done successfully. And Vanuatu led this charge very strongly. It came from students from USP Law School, where I, where I went to school. They presented a they they presented a letter to the Vanuatu government. They were like, "I think it's this is something that you guys should look into. You should you should get the support that you need to get the United Nations to request this this advisory opinion because that's the only way it happens. Uh, the the UN as a body has to agree um, that has to agree to ask the International Court of Justice for an advisory opinion on anything, but in particularly an advisory opinion on climate change, especially at a time when a lot of us are suffering, when Mm. developed countries, when the global north is not doing enough to stop global warming or to stop emissions. um, Mm. It kind of feels like a super, what you call, super confrontational thing but Vanuatu did so much work to make sure that everybody at the UN all the different countries could really um, see the value of this movement and see how it would contribute to as a as a planet that we need Mm. to stop (laughs) that we need to preserve the planet so as a as a as a global community we all came together to support Vanuatu in this initiative so have to plug that for Vanuatu because they did so much work on it and like the pacific the pacific youth the pacific students um partnered with a lot of similar groups in other countries to kind of have that not only just that that what you call that pressure within government that but that pressure outside of governments to really um to make sure that this was successful and we Mm -hmm. passed that on wednesday Congrats. You know, I I think I I could see I was being it was circulating on Twitter. So that's when you were talking about it, I was like, ah, yes, I did see that. Yeah. Man, that's huge. Definitely a big moment. Mm. Um, yeah, Palau had actually tried to do something similar, I think, in 20, 2018, 2019, but it was killed 
who was killed. Oh. You know, it was a very um, like direct pressure from other governments. It was like, don't do this. Um, mm. I'm going to support you if you if you keep pushing. So for Vanuatu to bring the same question and to succeed with, of course, the very strong support of all the Pacific countries and like many other countries, um, it's it's a big win for for not just for Vanuatu but for the Pacific. It's a big win for us. I am really curious about Pacific Islanders in this space. Uh, are there many of you? Tell tell us about that, sis, because I don't know that people know much about this. For me personally, I see a lot of uh, what you put out, um, other people that I follow on Twitter. That's how I find out about this stuff. But then I think, do other people know? Are they aware of all this hard work that is being done? Tell us, sis. <laughs> I mean... Definitely, it's 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 maybe it's two things, right? It's that a lot of people don't understand the UN in general. Like we we know what it is. We know it's like a, a group of countries that make decisions. Um, but I think it's for for myself before I started getting involved in this space, I was very unsure about what the UN was, how it works, like what exactly, like what what its value is. Excuse me. <clears throat> What, what's its value to the world that we live in? You know, because like, I think maybe the big thing is that every year climate change is worsening, there's still wars happening. And it's like, but we're supposed to have this this thing called the UN, the United Nations that's supposed to solve that maybe. So it's like, if it's not doing it, maybe it doesn't work. So I think there's that, that first layer of everyone generally, just the UN is a weird thing. It's like this weird thing that exists in the world that none of us really understand. And then on that second layer that you're talking about, the Pacific uh, the Pacific involvement, um, there are some major Pacific players that have come through the UN, right? So just to give you a few examples, um, we have this thing, <clears throat> we have this thing called the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. And it was, it was, it was such an important, um, it was such an important treaty to be negotiated in the in the in the 60s to the 80s that uh, one of the main things that's important about it is that it establishes what we call maritime boundaries so every country if you have if you have a coast if you have something that touches the sea you have certain air, uh, certain what you call certain um, lengths away from your shore so you've got like 12 nautical miles out 22 nautical miles out um, they're, they're divided into zones and if and depending on which zone your country can do different things so 12 nautical miles from your coast that's your territorial sea that is your sea that that is you as a country you do whatever you want in there no one can come in there without your permission like that's your sea and then like further out is called the uh, the contiguous zone and then you have the exclusive economic zone that's an important um, that's an important area for us as pacific islands because of fisheries Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our money, a lot of the, the income for our economies, it comes from fishing activities. So preserve like to have set up those areas of sea um, and it gives a way for us to, you know, achieve sustainable development. It gives a way for us to feed our economies. Having those things established under that convention were like they were really helpful. Um, but the most important thing about that in terms of Pacific Island involvement is that uh, a Fijian man named Satya Nandan, he was the chair of the conference when it was agreed. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, wow. we've been we've been doing this for some time, right? Like we've been 
uh, early, like at very key moments of, of negotiations, Pacific Islanders are usually there. So uh, Satyanandan is, is someone that's like super important to the Pacific in terms of oceans. And then we have, um, oh, uh, Peter Thompson. So Peter Thompson is currently the special, the UN Secretary General Special Envoy for Oceans. He's Fijian. He was previously the president of the General Assembly. He was also president of the, uh, sorry, he was chair of the group of 77 countries, which mm. it's not 77 countries. <laughs> There's like way many more. It just, right. um, it's all of the developing countries in the UN. Uh, we group ourselves together in political blocks. So mm. one of the blocks that we participate in is a group of 77 plus China. Uh, for the Pacific, we participate in a few blocks. So uh, the Pacific Island Forum, that's one block. Uh, the Pacific Small Island Developing States, that's another block that we participate in. Mm. Things like that. But I think even outside of that, and thank you so much for bringing up this question, because my... My my paper that I'm trying to focus on for my Ocean Voices Fellowship that you mentioned is to bring out more um, more of this Pacific story at the UN. Mm. Like we we've been involved in so many key things. Not just uh, we don't just have like important figureheads like these people, but we also have really important um, ideas that we've put out there. So SDG 14. If you if you are aware of the what we call mm. the sustainable development goals mm-hmm. that are supposed to be achieved by 2030. Uh, yeah. We look at that at school um, and I'm always like, oh, oh sorry, continue, sis. Yeah. I didn't mean to sigh. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. We sigh too. We sigh. Yeah, like- SDG 14 is the SDG on oceans. And that was a Pacific mm. call. Like that was something that when people were like, oh, let's talk about this. Like, what are the sustainable development goals that we want in the Pacific? It was like, we want one on oceans and we want it to be, um, like, we want it to improve ocean health. We want to improve, like, ocean science. We want to clean up the ocean. We want to stop harmful fishery subsidies um, because uh, fishery subsidies contribute to overfishing and for us who rely on that, like, we need to have sustainable fishing, right? So, uh, that you know, those are just some aspects of SDG 14. And to be honest, like we almost like we almost didn't get it because other countries were like, we don't. What do we? What what ocean? Hmm. Mm. What who who uses the ocean? Everybody uses the ocean. Why is it important for the ocean to survive? I don't know. Maybe because it contributes to the climate system, right? Mm. Like it is the single biggest body of water on Earth, and if we're not taking care of the ocean, uh, just as we're trying to address the climate change issue. It doesn't make sense. We need to look after like environment. We need to look after ocean. All of that will contribute to making to reversing the climate crisis. Mm. You know, um, <laughs> like this is so interesting, and this is another reason why I reached out to you because I just was I was like, no one. I haven't really been able to connect with anyone who knows or is involved in this space, you know, when we think about climate change, climate justice, um, the SDGs, the United Nations. So I'm so grateful, again, so, so grateful that you're sharing this important knowledge. Um, So, so important. You know, when it comes to United Nations, the elections, we fall under Asia Pacific region. Is it hard for us in those elections, you know, the Pacific nations and obviously Asia. Like, I feel like it's this, we're, get, <laughs> no. we're here, like, yeah. Yeah, 
no you're 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 definitely right uh the pacific is 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 lumped into the asia pacific mm. group let me just quickly check how many members because uh mm. yeah there's there's a lot of oh it's 53 member states and i think there are only 12 pacific island nations <laughs> yes, so then how, i mean while we yeah, have it, leaders in the space, mm-hmm. but in terms mm-hmm. of the elections and the importance of that, like, tell us <laughs> the imbalance. <laughs> the imbalance, yeah. No, it's definitely, it's definitely something that we have to take into account, right? And so how? So maybe the other thing is like um, elections at the UN are uh, mm. divided by the five regional groups. So Asia Pacific is one of them. Um, Eastern European group, mm. Africa group. So there's 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 the five groups, and each group will get like a certain number of, of seats on on any committee or council or whatever. And if it's Asia Pacific group, sometimes it's two seats, and usually that doesn't come to us. But mm. it's something that's super important. Like if it's uh, if it's an ocean envoy or if it's a dis- if it's a committee that's supposed to discuss ocean issues, sustainable development issues, sometimes we that is something that the Pacific group is super interested in. And we need to work really hard when it comes to lobbying. Like we have to first work within our own region to get the mm. buy-in from all the other Pacific states and be like, this is a thing that we think is important. Um, will you support, say, for example, any any country, any Pacific country, will you support me if I put my name forward? Or they'll have that conversation among themselves and just be like, this is a thing that's super important to us. Is anybody, is anybody like able to take on this role? We will support you if you do. And then as a, we agree first as like a subregion, and then mm-hmm. we go to the wider, to the Asia Pacific group. But, you know, I think something that's super important to, to keep in mind is capacity constraints. We have mm-hmm. very small missions here. We have some missions that's literally two people. And wow. they're supposed to carry, they're supposed to do so much work, like not only engaging at the UN, um, but also feeding information back to our capital cities and then taking on like, you know, taking on that feedback and having to balance it with with the work that they do at the UN. And some of us are also what we call, we're, we're, we're a mission. So you're a mission to the UN, but you're also the embassy for your country in, in the US. So say, for example, um, Samoa. Samoa is both the embassy and the mission. So they, at the same time as they're doing all of this UN work, they also need to uh, answer queries from citizens, process passports, you know. And if we're talking about, if you have a staff of like three or four people, that, that easily becomes overwhelming. So even though there's this strong interest for us to engage um on, on ocean issues, on climate issues, we also have to be super mindful that sometimes we just don't have the people to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious about that because in terms of your role, like, yeah, you know, as a technical advisor um, for Pacific Missions there in New York, like, yeah, what does that role entail? I mean, I know it says advisor, but then hearing what you're sharing and I'm thinking, man, you must wear many hats. Uh, <laughs> like I imagine it, or I mean, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I was, yeah. Could you share a little bit about um, your work and, yeah? No worries. So, um, so I'm I'm actually the 
the Oceans Advisor to the Pacific Small Island Developing States Chair. So the when we're talking about political blocks before um, the Pacific, we're part of a, a couple of different blocks, but one of them is the Pacific Small Island Developing States. We, for short, we call it PSIDS. They negotiate um, as a block in climate and ocean. And here at the UN, what we what they've decided is that uh, every year they will elect a chair for the PSIDS. So that's like a country just one of the Pacific countries who it's going to be their job that year to to carry out this mandate, like to to coordinate the Pacific, the PSIDS group on ocean issues or climate issues, whatever the group wants that wants them to do. And because you're taking on this extra work, there's a recognition that you 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 need extra resourcing. So that's where a person like me comes in. Um, depending on the priorities that the group has identified at the beginning of the year, they'll you know find some funding, find some resource support from somewhere. And then they'll put out a call for an advisor on ocean issues. Maybe maybe next year they want to focus on like climate issues. Maybe the year after they want to focus on plastic pollution. It just depends on what the group has identified as a as their 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 high priority for that year or their high priorities. And then they'll, you know, then the chair. So this year the chair is Palau. Then the chair will, you know, look at all of her resources and be like, we have enough money to find find an advisor on ocean issues. And that's mm. how someone like me comes on board. So basically my role is to monitor all of the ocean related processes at the UN and feedback information to, to the chair and to the missions, be like, this is what's coming up. Um, here are some points that here are some areas that the Pacific has is interested in, we should engage this way, or here are some areas that are under attack from others, we should probably be monitoring that, or, you know, we should start doing that, what we call bilateral work. So multilateral is when you have like multiple countries in the same room, but bilateral and it's, is when it's one-on-one. So you mm. start doing bilateral outreach to countries if there's like a, you know, if there's something that they're particularly concerned with, like we want to as much as possible secure um, things that we've fought hard for in the past. When it comes under attack, uh, you know, we, 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 we kind of want to solve that problem before it becomes like a really big problem. So as Ocean's Advisor, that's most of my role is just to like look at the broad calendar. There are mm. five meetings next week on ocean issues. Like, let's get ready for those. I'm really curious about our activists and, you know, because I see so many of our Pacific activists out on the world stage um, speaking in these forums in front of these world leaders. I mean, sis, do you get, do you meet with, do you ever like meet up with them, you know, in terms of like, are you in a room doing policy things or do you actually get the opportunities to be in the room with these amazing folks and our Pacific leaders, all of that? Yeah. And I mean, Maybe what like one of the beauty one of the the beauties of the Pacific is that we are small islands. We are communities where everyone knows everyone else. So, you know, when um, when Rihanna and Sherelle come over to New York, it's very simply just a matter of being like, "Hey, we're here. Like, let's have this oh. chat." Um, so you know, like connecting connecting with each other on our community level where we all know each other. Um, someone else recently just came. Uh, I have like you know so it's just connecting with each other on that community level but also one of the 
great things I think about the Pacific is that a lot of what our people want is what our governments want. We're not like major countries where people want protection of environment, they want social justice, and their governments want to serve corporations. For us, the messaging is the same. So if we have our activists in a big room talking to these world leaders advocating for very strong climate action, our leaders are going to come in and echo the same message mm. because we're, we're all on the same page when it comes to that. And that's the beauty, I think, of of our small Pacific countries because we we all have the same concerns when it comes to protecting our people from climate change. We all have the same concerns when it comes to preserving our cultures for the future. So... Um, that's that's my experience of it is that at my humble level i usually connect with the activists in like just in person um but their voices are definitely well heard by our leaders i was thinking back to your studies in vanuatu and yeah how much of that are you able to kind of put into your role um surprising maybe not but uh when i was in law school i Again, I wanted to be rich, so I did a lot of commercial papers. Like I, I, just, be, yeah, I was like, I bet, yeah, she's got to have a story. She must have a story. <laughs> I, I didn't do any international law courses. I was like, meh, I'm not interested. Like, I don't know where the money is there. So I was like, no, I'm going to do commercial law work. And even more surprising is that when I went back to Samoa, I don't know where, but along the line, I developed this like bleeding heart. And I was like, I'm going to go and be a prosecutor. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I was a prosecutor for three years. And then I moved to the um, civil litigation and international, mm. oh, sorry. When I moved back home to Samoa, I became a prosecutor in the attorney general's office. And I was doing that for three years. And then I moved over to the civil litigation and international law side of the uh. attorney general's office. So I started doing a lot of that work. And I mean, civil litigation was also super fun. But um, the international law side, it was... It was a lot of yeah, reading conventions, advising governments on how this applies or how what if if something that we're doing might not be mm. compliant with that with that treaty. Like here's what we need to do to make it compliant. Um, so it's just like there's a lot of reading uh, treaty documents and trying to understand what it meant for Samoa. Like what like what are the things that we really like about this treaty? What do we mm. need to think about going forward? But that was mostly, that was all for treaties that had already been set, like already agreed, already been um, been established. Uh, when I started doing this, this gray area of international law and policy was after I left government. So um, I think maybe this is relatable to a lot of your audience, but mm -hmm. if you work in the Pacific, especially if you work in the Pacific government, there's only so, like, it's, we, we are small, right? There's only so much um, higher you can go until you, you you just kind of plateau. And I don't like, <laughs> I don't like mm. plateauing. I, I became very like, um, you know, I, I like the growth, I like the challenge, and I wasn't getting that anymore. Mm. And it's not a, it's not a dick to Attorney General's office, it was just, you know, time. <laughs> mm. So I decided to move overseas and see how much I could expand. And so when you start, when I moved away from like really purely legal work into this uh, policy side of things is when I had to like bring some of my, my legal background is still relevant, but then mm. also a lot of my experience working with government. So, you know, understanding different ministries, understanding their different priorities. Like I think a lot of just 
uh, maybe people skills as well, right? Is like learning, learning about what people really want, what governments really want, and how to bring all of that together into some mm. into a piece of advice that you can then provide to to your current clients and just be like, this is a, this is where I think we're going, <laughs> or this is where I think where we should go. <laughs> what an interesting journey! Um, wow, I, I'm just learning so much today <laughs> you know was it difficult for you to uh kind of move back into you know move back to Samoa after being away for a few years uh in Vanuatu was it difficult to kind of like go back and then you know be in the family setting and pick up work and kind of get you know was that transition difficult or were, were you just absolutely stoked to finally be back on home soil yeah no i i, I think uh socially like i definitely did miss the freedom i had in Vanuatu. i mean mm. you know don't we all right <laughs> I, I i did miss that but i was i was definitely happy to be home um adjusting to a workplace environment was a new experience for me because you know up until this point I'd just gone to school and been at mm. home so learning learning workplace dynamics how to navigate workplace politics it, that that became like super important to me and I I don't know if this comes across but I'm not like I'm not very savvy with reading <laughs> with reading like situations I'm not mm. I'm not that good at it so it was a it was a struggle for me personally to to get a read on on different like tensions and things mm. like that um but you know I got there in the end um but I guess even so that was probably my biggest struggle when it came to joining the workplace mm. learning how to interact with different people at that level and then also understanding that I you know I I'd done this degree, very super happy for myself. And then I was gaining this experience, which was now giving me um, what you call, you know, it's like it's 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 education plus experience. And then when you bring those together and if you can in integrate them really well, then you, you know, you rise in the ranks type of thing. And um, it was just being confident in myself that the, the education that I had, that the experience I was getting, that the skills that I was that I was really crafting and perfecting, that they that they were worthy of recognition, right? I think mm. as a young woman, it's it's so it's it's quite often easy to be like, oh, you know, I don't deserve this, or you mm. know, not put your hand up for mm. for opportunities. Um, so, and I still struggle with it today, to be honest. But it's it is something that having. Like working really hard has given me that confidence to put myself forward for different things. It doesn't. I don't do it all the time, but when 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 it's an opportunity that I think is particularly um, useful to me, or if it's an opportunity that I think where I can contribute a lot to this space, then I will always try and take it. Mm. That's that's life. You live, you learn, you evolve. You know, you learn some more. Um, you know you're you're Samoan. You're parts. You you know you're Samoan, but you're also um, part German. You have you know Chinese as well. And I was wondering uh, when you're out there, you know, out on out in the world, do people often ask you like, what are you and where you're from? I just uh, I hate those questions, uh, you know. But I was wondering, do you get that yeah. a lot? 
Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, so I think the 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 it term that that the Americans have coined is I'm. Uh, is ethnically ambiguous, so I present as a lot of different ethnicities, which mm. I, I I don't support. Right, it was like no, I'm I'm Samoan and I'm only mm. Samoan. But especially here, I guess in New York on the East Coast, <laughs> mm. uh, it's very rare to see a, a Pacific Islander. We're not very known, so I usually get confused for either Asian or Hispanic. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's like you know I uh, it, I. I don't so much care if like someone asks, like someone sees me on the street and they're like, oh, you know, where are you from? Um, because they think I'm Hispanic and probably <laughs> they might know me, but uh, I don't care so much if we have that conversation and they're like, oh, you're someone, great. Um, it only becomes a real problem to me when I think maybe like all of us is when, when they try and then start applying the stereotypes to me, mm. right? It's like, oh, you're always late or, you know, yeah. overweight or you're supposed to be like, aren't you supposed to be huge? I'm like, mm, not really. <laughs> I'm mm. someone, I guess, like, like it, I, I look the way I look and yeah. Mm. <laughs> so I, I, I do struggle with that a little bit, um, especially when it comes to negative stereotypes, which I do not endorse and do not put up with. Mm. That's kind of, I guess, the reality. <laughs> How did you, you know, you studied, you went home, you worked for a couple of years, and then what uh, led you overseas again? Uh, was it more opportunities? Was it, were you mm, taking, like, a taking just time for yourself, uh, traveling? Yeah. Yeah, so something in the middle of those, right? Uh, I, I realized I realized I had kind of hit the plateau for my career mm. in Samoa at that point. And um, also, like, I'd never taken a gap year. So I guess it was, <laughs> it was just one of those, like, the stars aligned perfectly for me mm. um, just to take a year off and, and, and try and do other things. Mm. And so I did that. Uh, at, and, of course, it was not easy going. <laughs> I thought mm. that, you know, it would be so fun. Like, oh, you know, there, there, will, there will be jobs. No no jobs, um, not fun, very stressful. And so that was 2019. And so at the end of 2019, uh, beginning of 2020, I was trying to go home again because my visas had all expired and like, you know, mm. I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back home and find a, find a, another steady job. And then measles and Samoa happened uh. and uh, the borders were closed. And so I was like, okay, I'll just hop over because I have like, I have a U.S. passport, so mm. I was like, I'll just go to the U.S. for a little bit, hang out there until borders in Samoa open, mm. and then, and this was this was late February, and then everywhere closed. Oh yeah, they they closed the borders, like, huh? Yeah, and then it was like, even if I wanted to leave America, I couldn't. I had to oh. stay in America, and you know, Samoa was definitely closed, and like all of the the the, the what you call the transit ports Australia was closed New Zealand was closed it was like there's mm. nowhere I could go anyway even if I wanted to go or even if I had the opportunity to leave and of course at that time early 2020 in America was a very strange place very you know the civil tensions like the Black mm. Lives Matter all of those things were happening and I was living with uh, my family and my my uncle and his family in Texas in rural Texas it was really hard for all of us right mm -hmm. like we there was this anxiety because we were all locked like there was this tension because we were all locked indoors every day all day and then there was also this anxiety because of everything that was happening around us 
in, and the uncertainty that came from COVID, it was definitely a difficult time. Um, but part of that, out of that came this other <laughs> this other issue, which was like I was now running out of money and I needed to get a job. But I couldn't work in Texas uh, because I had I was living with two family members who were immunocompromised, and ah, okay. yeah, and so I I couldn't work. And um, you know, we had this as a as a family. We sat down and we had this conversation. It's like I don't, yeah, I guess the same thing I've always done throughout my life. It's like I want to I want to contribute to this family. I don't want to like suck the resources out of it. So, um, I would like to work, but I understand that that's not possible. So let's talk about alternatives. And I had a friend living in New York who was also working um, as an advisor to, oh no, he hadn't been working as an advisor to to a mission. He was working as an advisor for uh, the High Seas Alliance, which is a civil society group. Um, and then and he was like, come to New York, we'll, 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 we'll find something, we'll just, we'll, we'll make it happen. So I did <laughs> because, you know, I, I couldn't support myself in, in Texas. And I was like, at least New York is New York, right? You can you can do any job. So I did come here to New York in the middle of COVID and mm. just hustled my way to financial security. <laughs> Man, you know, New York before you, I mean, had you been to New York before? No. Um, so did you already have in your mind a whole list of things? You're like, here's my bucket list. Even though things are closed down, this is, I'm going to tick this off and do this. Did you already have that going on or no? You're freaking out. <laughs> I was freaking out. Yeah, to be, to be completely honest, I was just like, get to New York, figure it out from there. And yeah. That, You're so brave. Figure, I mean. Courageous. I, I, it, it, there's a thing, right? It's like necessity makes like innovators out of all of us, or something like that. There's a saying that I that I always think about, and but can never remember when I need to remember it. <laughs> but it's it's that part of us that's like the super resilient part of us as Pacific Islanders that we're like, this is just the thing that you have to do. Go do it, right? Um, so when I came to New York, I, I mean, definitely, you know, Bright Lights, Big City was like, oh my gosh, here I am. But at the same time, I was like, you, you, first thing you need, find a job, find a place to stay, um, get health insurance. Oh my God, that was the most stressful thing ever. Mm. <sighs> Finding health insurance in this country is so, well, zero, zero out of 10, do not recommend coming here for healthcare. Mm. Uh, and then and I guess maybe the like and then after that all of the I guess the what you call the non-essential started falling to places. Find a good support circle, mm. make some friends, go see the Statue of Liberty. Like doesn't oh. like much lower on the list. <laughs> Man, what about the food and the? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, not related to your job, but in general, living in New York, what has your experience been like thus far? Amazing, honestly, like. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like New York, it's you use on online. It's always glamorous. Like there's always so many things happening. It's always like sparkly on the ground. It's filthy. It is filthy. <laughs> but you know what? I don't care. Like it, mm. it feels really real to me. Like I, I would rather, um, I would rather live. To, I've said this before. New York or nowhere for me. Um, unless it's the Pacific, then definitely the Pacific is, is much higher on my I wish to live there list. But for for America, yeah, New York or nowhere. I I feel like people here 
a super, they come off as like rough and rude, but they're not. They're, they, if someone's standing in line, uh, I guess people are just like, they're just trying to get through their day. They actually are not trying to cause trouble. Lots of people are just hanging out. <laughs> Everybody's just like, all of us are all on the train together, making our way to work, making our way. It, it just, it just feels real. <laughs> what, what's the food like? Oh God, the food here is amazing. <laughs> you can get, you can get food like you can get any type of food here. Mm. Um, my favorite is of course uh, Mexican. <laughs> oh. So the tacos, the birria, anywhere. Uh, the other yeah. thing is, if you are in New York, what you really need to do, like the quintessential New York thing, is of course bagels. <laughs> Oh. you need to get you need to get a good bagel spot you need to get yourself an everything bagel or just you know a, a bec which is a bacon egg and cheese like you know order like the locals <laughs> show off like you know make, make everyone think you're from here but so bagels are big uh mexican food amazing uh singaporean food they just opened up a singaporean food court near uh near Times Square, I think, and it's got, like, vendors from vendors from the Singapore who operate, like, little carts. They have oh. stores here, like, and I think Singapore is the only place where, like, uh, you know, you can have your food stand and that has a Michelin star. Mm. So those people are here now, you know, just to promote that culture. I'm blown away. Love it. Any, any food in New York, honestly, any food in New York. And I cannot forget soul food. Mm. So I live in Harlem and I'm very, very close to uh, the soul food places and the Caribbean places. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, there's there's lots of food here. <laughs> really good. I'm so sorry that this is... You're getting all dreamy now. I can see. It. I focus, this. focus. <laughs> oh, it sounds great. After this, I'm just going to be like, hey, tap my flatmate and be like, hey, guys, I just want to go to dinner. <laughs> is um, housing and things, you know, you mentioned the move, you needed to get a job, uh, stable income, but then, you know, looking for housing, was that a okay experience for you or was it just really a headache? <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was, it was a headache. So um, I'd never lived in the U.S. before mm. and I didn't know all of these weird rules that they have, but you need a credit score for everything. Oh. You need like, um, and I don't, I, I, even till now, I really don't know how it works. I just know that I have one and like you mm. have to submit it to to land um, to landlords. And apparently when people check your credit score, your, your credit score goes down. And I'm like, they're just checking it because mm. everyone needs, like, why is it going down? Sounds, um, wow. It is, it, it's harsh. <laughs> um, so for the, actually for the first two years when I was here, so I lived with friends for like six months and then... I moved out and lived, I sublet an apartment. I was paying 800 a month for, for, for a bedroom, for, for my wow. bedroom. And I was sharing, uh, and the apartment was shared with four other people. And we had no common living space. We just had the kitchen and then the bathroom. And I was like, whoa. So I lived there for a year and it was, it was okay. It wasn't like, you know, horrifying, but it was very cramped. And uh, yeah, it took me almost like, took me about two years to build up a, like a good enough credit score to get a place, which mm. I have a place. <laughs> and, oh, congrats, sis. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely so many weird, 
weird rules in the US that you that you wouldn't know because I think in other places like you provide like your your pay slip and then your like an an employment confirmation to let your landlord know that a you're employed and b like this is how much you make so that you can mm. afford to pay the rent and so having a credit score was super weird uh, mm. and also to get a credit score you need to get credit like you need to apply for a credit card I will tell you this when I still had no job. I applied for a credit card and I got a credit card for like 2K, like with a $2,000 spending limit. I was like, this is insane. They're testing you. (laughs) Girl, I was just, I was so scared of that thing. I never used it because I was like so freaked out all the time. I was like, I am, why would you, I told you I'm not employed. Why would you give me a credit card with that much Mm. money? Why? Because they want you to get into debt. (laughs) It's a trap. Everything is a trap. Yeah. Man, you know, uh, what do you miss from home? Like, you know, you've you've been out there, you're you're doing your thing, living life, adulting, all that good stuff, learning. What do you miss? I miss um I miss everything about home. I miss the ease, the ease of doing things. I miss like I miss oh, I miss fresh bread, sis. Oh, I know I, I miss I tell you. No one does fresh bread like Samoa. Like, that's my thing, eh? That's, yeah, yeah for real. I miss, <laughs> I miss fresh bread. I miss, I miss family. I miss, mm. like, having those spaces, like, you know, Saturday evening, Sunday evening, mm. go have tea with your, your uncles and your aunties and just talk about nothing, talk about everything. I miss how easy it is just to live at home, Um, you know, like at home if I lost my job I mean Mm. it would definitely be hard but I would not die in this Mm. country yeah you cannot be unemployed you you really cannot be unemployed everything depends on 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 the money that you're making and so I miss that that freedom I guess Mm. that freedom to exist at home which I definitely took for granted You know, um, you you spoke, uh, touched upon it a bit earlier about the Ocean Voices program, and uh, you know what? What do you you know? How long is is that? For how long does are you going to be part of? I know you're part of the inaugural cohort for that. Um, how did you apply? Or you know, was it through work? Or are you always seeking out? these types of opportunities to to kind of grow and learn because that then helps you directly with the work that you're doing um, Mm -hmm. related to the UN I mean I'm I'm always I'm always passionate about finding finding spaces where I can like connect with other SIDS practitioners so SIDS is small island developing states so SIDS ocean practitioners I'm always trying to find spaces where I can interact with them where I can learn with them learn from them um but I'd never really thought about a fellowship or anything like that. And actually at the beginning of this year, one of my big things was that I need to get on to higher education because I still only have a bachelor's degree. And in many ca- in many ways, that's quite limiting when you're trying to work long-term here at the UN or long-term with local missions. So having a, a higher, having an advanced degree is probably really good, but I've been out of the academic space for so long. And so maybe I was trying to look for 
something that could help me reintegrate into that mind frame because academia and practice is not the same. Mm. And there's a lot of academic skills like paper writing, um, research not so much, but like writing papers, giving talks, like that type of type of thing, which I'm not I'm not super skilled at. And so I started talking to some people, like this is what I'm interested in doing. And um one of them was like, oh, the Ocean Voices Fellowship just put out a call. You can send in your send in your CV and your application letter. Um, I will. I I need to check the what the website is, but I'll definitely send that to you. Like I think it is such a useful platform because one of the things that I personally think someone from the Pacific, someone who's worked really hard, but had never had these opportunities before, is because either they're targeted. Um, they're targeted towards people who live here in the U.S. and uh, not here, not in the Pacific, or they they tar- they're targeted towards a, a much younger group of people. And if you think about those two things, like um, if you if you live at home and if someone tells you it's like, oh, you can take part in this fellowship, but you need to pay for yourself to go to the states, it's like mm, that's a mm. big ticket. That's a lot. That's a long visa process. Maybe not. Um, and then if you also think about age. A lot of us go from primary, secondary, university job, and there's no this. And we, when we're when we're in those first that first five years of your of your of your job, like that's super important for you to stay there and stay present. So you don't have time to apply for these or, or to take advantage of these external opportunities. And once you do have time, you're too old for them, right? Uh, so. That's why I personally think that this Ocean Voices Fellowship is super good. So I know that I'm in the U.S. and I got it, but um, I have a fellow. Her name is Alamita. She's amazing. She's based in Fiji and she's got it too. So I like these. I like Ocean Voices Fellowship because it's kind of it's effective for for the Pacific. It's effective for SIDS practitioners. Like it's not so tight and rigid. Like you don't have to be a student at a university. You don't have to be based in a specific place. You can be wherever you are and they provide the flexibility to meet your needs. Like in the beginning of the year, we had like, a, I had a massive conversation with um, my my fellowship coordinators. Like these are the things I want out of these, out of this program and identified a learning plan that's very much tailored to, to the things that I need. Yeah, in order to start looking into further education and academia. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Huge plug. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, if someone, you know, for young folks who, or just anyone who's wanting to kind of get into these spaces uh, career-wise uh, or even work for the UN or uh, be involved in um like what you're doing what would they need like what uh degree would they need what training would they need well so um maybe for the un specifically one of the easiest ways to get in there as a as a young early career professional is to take advantage of what we what they call the young professionals program the UN Young Professionals Program. That's where they target um, entry-level professionals from countries that are underrepresented at the UN. So all of the Pacific is on that list. All of us are on that list. And so when we put in applications, um, we, for this particular program, it's trying to prioritize us and other underrepresented countries. Um, I think the the minimum requirement for that is just like a, a bachelor's degree. 
and and a couple years experience but it's it is tailored for early early career so you don't need to worry about having like five years or something like that that's definitely not the requirement um if you want getting into ocean policy spaces like this is also quite difficult I would say if you are interested in international relations, like definitely do, of course, your, your bachelor's degree and then apply for work at your foreign affairs ministry. That's the that's the that's an easy way. I mean, of course, you have to get in and all of that and you have to work really hard, but apply there. I would also say look into our regional organizations. So in the Pacific, and I'm sorry, I don't have I don't have any experience in New Zealand. <laughs> So it's it, I, I, I can't really speak to that. But in the Pacific, we have our regional organizations. So we have the Pacific Island Forum Secretariat. We have the SPC, we have SPREP, all of these regional bodies that are based in our countries. And I think if you want to break into that international climate, international oceans type of space, those are definitely places where you should look first. On New Zealand, though, I will say they have... The New Zealand mission here in New York has a uh, what do you call it? a junior associate program, which is really really good. They they offer a paid internship for young professionals. I I did that for six months. That's that's actually how I got like my major start in the UN. And they have a rolling application. I mean, they have a roll. They accept applications on a rolling basis. And I think that they're open now. If that if that's something that you're interested in, Rosa, I'll definitely send you the link. I've got it on my LinkedIn. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to talk just real briefly about uh, social media and advocacy uh, when it comes to climate justice and climate change. And we we're seeing you know these conferences taking place. You know things at the policy level, right? But but for those of us at the grassroots level, you know who are not involved in that, how can we advocate? Uh, you know, how can we be part of the advocacy for climate justice and for the Pacific, for our oceans, for sustainability and for our people? Like, what, what can we do at the grassroots level to raise that awareness? I mean, honestly, just like conversations like this is super important where you get a glimpse into the work that we do and then you have a better idea of how to engage with the work that we do. Um, other ways are definitely getting in contact with your with your local groups at home who are doing this work because a lot of them will already have contacts with either the regional organizations or with governments and they have that more direct space. Um, I, I do... A lot of time, though, I, I I think I feel I feel you, which is I feel your point on they're just what we do at the UN level. It might maybe it feels so like unclear or it feels so opaque. So I think one of the one of the the easiest ways is to early engage with your with your ministries for foreign affairs. Mm. You know, just write letters, like be be super visible in your own community, right? And then from there, you get noticed by your local media, your newspapers, your journalists. And then from there, you you have more of a direct impact. Like the thing, people start listening to you when you start mm. doing that kind of work, right? Your your voice has your voice has meaning, your voice has what value, right? And so when you're when you're when you're active in that space, things you say will reach the ears that they need to reach. Mm. So for everyone listening, if you're watching, you know, Gemma has mentioned 
so many valuable connections, some, you know, opportunities throughout this podcast. So check the bio. Uh, I'm going to compile a list and it should be there in the bio. Check it out. You can follow Gemma. There are so many people like her uh, working hard in these spaces. So if you're curious, if you just, you know, want to be a better advocate um, and be part of this journey, check the bio and, and, and get connected and, and start networking. Safkia, I mean, outside of your work, I really hope that, you know, with the busyness of life and, and, and your career, how do you look after yourself, sis? Like, are you intentional with, with making time for you? Or is that struggle city? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, during during busy times, like during negotiation periods, it's definitely struggle city. You have to, you, you put it all, you put all of that on the side and you do the job. But then when that's done, I think there's a lot of, I, I really appreciate my current employer because there's a lot of understanding there that after a big negotiation, like the, the, the ones that we've just finished, you need some time off and they, they're, they're very, so long as your your work is taken care of, it's like just take a couple of days, work from home, like with it, it, you're still working, but there's less pressure to do to do other things. Um, I'm also planning a trip home to Samoa, and I oh. cannot wait to go away. Nice, just sit in my house and have my mom like just oh. be there. That's the, that, that's a recharge for me, and hopefully, I can get to do that very soon. <laughs> That is very, very, that's really cool to hear. That's nice. And then what other things do you like to do just to, you know, take care of yourself? Um, I, yeah. I guess like food, food is a big part of it. <laughs> food have to. <laughs> have to, yeah, yeah. Um, and I also like, so food with friends is a really big thing in New York. There's a big foodie culture, great food scene. Um, but I, I also like to do hobbies. So I have a lot of like creative energy and mm. I can't I can't pour it all into work right it's just it's not it's not it's not the right shape for my energy <laughs> so I like to do other random things like I like to crochet I like to sew um and I'm not really good at any of it but it's 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 just it's fulfilling to me to just be able to do something not because I need to be super good at it but mm. because it just makes me happy <laughs> Yes, that, that's what's up right there. Very important. Do things that make you happy. You don't have to be a go-getter all the time. Peace of mind and energy, all of that. Your wellness, very important. Book recommendations, sis. Uh, do you have any recommendations for us? Yes. Um, so one of the recent books. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you already know this one, uh, The Sun and Her Flowers. Where am I? I really like the cover. Oh, it's Ruby Kaur. Kaur? I'm ashamed. I don't know. I did not look up how to say her name before this. Okay. Yeah, it's a book of poems. It's a poetry book. Oh, also, um, Audrey, Audrey Brown. Yes, I know she's got this new. I haven't. I've already got my my post ready to go for this week to 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 put her on blast. I saw that. Yeah, so I'm excited. A really great poet. Audrey's a really great poet, and she's active in this climate space. So you know, mm. she'd be doing the thing. <laughs> yes. Know? Um, 
yeah, so Audrey's work is really good. Of course, the VAR series, the, mm. the anthology. I, I've just read, I've just finished reading that. I love Pacific Island work. Um, mm. Albert Went, uh, Leaves of the Banyan Tree. Such a mm. serious and heartbreaking, but yeah. I think important book for yeah. to, for someone to read, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, and then of course on the fantasy side, girl, like mm. Sarah J. Maas, all the way. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm currently like working through, and I'm really, I'm really into like just the fire breathing. Like, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. But do you think you'd ever, uh, you know, you you love poetry? Would you ever write? Uh, I mean, do you write poetry, or is it something you're interested in? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do write, but I find like big feelings right like I I write when I have big feelings when I'm trying to navigate my what my big feelings are and that's those are those are moments when when I write so I find I do write it's very personal so I don't it's not really for anyone it's it's mostly just how I process emotions Mm. if a book was written about you sis what would it be called um (laughs) it would be some like crazy title like i think i think i can do anything (laughs) (laughs) okay okay but you know you just reminded me now i i forgot to ask you're a spice girl stan i i mentioned it and i was like i didn't even give you an opportunity to respond respond sis tell me like you know this was like the early 2000s late 90s like this was this girl power band with the catchiest tunes and if you have it like you know you had your group of girl cousins everyone was a spice right yeah i think for some reason i was often posh spice yeah i was about to ask who are you (laughs) i often got posh spice or scary spice but like you know i'm down like energy right energy forever you heard it here first, um, my, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> yep. My favorite song at karaoke is Wannabe. Oh. So I'll tear that song up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, oh. I, I I didn't even know where to start this. Um, you know, as, as we begin to wrap up this podcast, I, I know when I reached out to you, you were really – at a point where you were like, you know, I, I do want to share a story, but what can I bring to this? And I'm so, like, I'm really, really glad that you came, that you turned up today. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to say thank you because you are a support, you know, you you always support me with the podcast. You always offering some encouragement or kind words and, you know, I love following your stories and seeing what you're doing out there, not just in the policy space and with, you know, all the hard work that you're doing at the UN, but just generally like to see how you advocate for other, you know, important issues, social justice issues, um, you know, online. Um, I know you don't back down for anything. And so I love that. I love that. And I just, yeah, I am excited to, you know, continue to follow your journey and seeing what other amazing things you're doing out there. Um, you know, I want to wish you all the best. It's April. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's April already. Uh, you know, look after yourself out there in New York. Um, yeah, just thank you so, so much for 
being courageous and coming and sharing this just really important knowledge that I think many of us, like you said, we see the policy stuff. It can be quite overwhelming, but, you know, you've shared some things that said, hey, you know, at the grassroots level, this is what you can do to really support the work that's being done um, for our oceans, for Pacific, for climate justice. So that was a very long spiel, but I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you, sis, and thank you. And I'll, you know, hand it over to you to just wrap up our show and some final words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much, Rosa. And I, I truly appreciate that you reached out and, you know, I feel like the stars were aligned. This was something I, I do want to tell a story. I, like I said before, uh, I do have trouble putting myself up for opportunities, but when it's something that I think that I can be super valuable to, I will definitely take it. And I've seen your platform. I've seen the work that you do. I think it's so valuable for us to have spaces where we just hear from more of our own, right? Um, hearing these very human stories about struggle, about life, about profession, it helps us, I think it helps reach out to other other people who look just like us and be like, you're not alone or you can be here too. I think if there's anything that I would really like to leave this conversation with is that find find your purpose, find your passion and don't tie it down to any specific job. Don't tie it down to any specific location, right? Be be always open to growing. Like I think if you stay true to the to your passion and your core values, you can go really far. You can plant yourself anywhere. You can you can plant yourself in Japan. You can plant yourself in New York and you can grow and you can thrive there. And yeah, if anyone if anyone wants to come visit me in New York. <laughs> please do. Um, I always love seeing more Pacific Islanders around here and just hanging out and having good food. Good food, fam. Good food. We're down for that. <laughs> Great food. Great food. Great food. <laughs>